much. He certainly has a great, great name. Thank you, Kate. Kate's still taking care of me. Amen. Numbers chapter 14. While you're turning, give a moment for our youngins to come in and go to Children's Church today. I know they're going to have a good time. Ray's got some goldfish and some nutty buddies. I don't know. They probably. Look at here they come, nutty buddies. Here they come. You ate, you ate them before they got here. <laughs> Oh, Steve, where are you? You're not going to Children's Church. I, no, the goodness gracious. Children's Church will never be the same, folks. <laughs> Numbers chapter 14. I want you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word. There, there's a. Uh, we're going to look at verse 1 and through verse 9. There's a portion of that on the front of your worship guide, and also the scripture will be. We're talking today about outrageous obedience the scripture tells us so much about obedience because uh, it is so very important in the lives of God's children he tells us that it is better than sacrifice or anything else we may try to do that just simply walking with God and doing what God teaches us to do is the most important thing that we can do in our journey with him Numbers chapter 14, if you found your place in physical labor, would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's word, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the word of God says. It says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Father, in Jesus' name, Pray you'd add your blessing to the reading of your word today. May the Son of God be glorified today through the faithful proclamation of his word. We pray that many wonderful things are done and lives are changed as a result of the people being under the influence of God's word today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today, as I told you, we're talking about the subject of outrageous obedience. Well, Christians have to constantly be aware and on guard for so many things in our world today. And one of those great dangers that we have to be on guard for is that our relationship with the Lord, if we're not careful, it can become rather mechanical. 
It can become something that is not a real priority in our lives. And even for especially those who are Christian leaders, it can become more of an academic exercise because we can lose our passion for God in the pursuit of attempting to gain vast knowledge of Him and His Word. But we can also, as Christians and as members of local churches, we can become so entrapped by church business and those things that we lose our passion to pursue the heart of God. And let me always remind you this. There is a business part or aspect of the ministry of the church. But never forget that people are the business of the church. That proclaiming the gospel is the business of the church. That reaching a lost world with a message of the cross of Calvary, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his victory over death, hell, and the grave. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the business of the church. So we must never forget those things and get caught up in other things that matter just for a little bit when these things will matter for eternity. If we're not careful, we can stop seeking the heart of God. We can stop seeking His purpose and we can stop living lives of outrageous obedience. Just prior to the passage that we read together a moment ago in Numbers chapter 14, you'll be reminded of what's taken place in the journey since we talked last time. Last week we were talking from the book of Exodus where Moses was leading the children of Israel out of bondage. They had been under Pharaoh's command and now they're being led out of bondage and they have gotten to the edge of the Red Sea. One point that could be looked at is the Red Sea symbolized for them that destruction was just in front of them. But when God got in the mix or in the matters, he was leading them already. Destruction was not going to be where they were headed. They were headed for deliverance. God had raised up Moses to lead them, and as they walked across on dry ground, they once again had gotten past a point of no return. As they continued on their journey toward this land of promise that God had prepared for his children, they come to another pivotal moment. They're gathered at a geographical place called Kadesh Barnea. At this place, they are prepared to make a decision, but before they go forward, they decided they'd put together a Baptist committee. And this Baptist committee was going to go and have the responsibility of uh, scoping out or spying out the, the promised land. And when they went, they chose 12. And of those 12, 10 came back and said, there's no way we can do this. There's no way we're able to accomplish the taking over of this promised land because this land is filled with giants. And we're merely grasshoppers in their sight. So prior to the text that I read just a moment ago, that's the kind of stuff <coughs> that's been happening. They've already decided that, no, we're not going to be able to go forward. We've come to the end of the road. So they had certainly lost their commitment, their determination, and their passion, if you will, for the things of God. So what does it look like today when someone loses their passion for the things of God? 
I, I wrote down a couple of things. It won't be on the screen, but there's some things you might add to your notes today that might help you. Some things <coughs> that we see happen when people lose their passion for the things of God. One is that people will withdraw, <coughs> which leads to isolation. You don't need to serve God in isolation or even attempt to because you'll not be able to very long. Uh, when people withdraw into isolation, they begin to become gripped with fear, anxiety, and things that will hinder their journey with the Lord. Another is, is that devotion will be turned to despondency. There are so many people who have began a journey or begun a journey with the Lord, and they were totally and completely devoted to His Lordship, completed completely and totally devoted to reading and studying and applying the word of God but along the way in their journey they began to lose their passion because their devotion would turn to despondency maybe they experienced some disappointments maybe they even experienced some quote failures and thought well there's really no use in continuing to try but there's a third thing when people lose passion it also happens when we begin to drift toward apathy. That word apathy literally means a loss of passion, the absence of passion. And apathy is a very dangerous place to be because you get to a place where you really just don't care about anything and that's not where God wants his children to live. A.W. Tozer said this, he said, great people of the Bible and Christian history have had an insatiable hunger for God. He said this about God. He said, God waits to be wanted. Oh, that blew me away when I read that statement. He waits to be wanted, and it's too bad that so many of us, with us, he waits so very long in vain. Isn't it amazing to you to think that the sovereign God of the universe so desires to have a relationship with you and I that he would give his son to take our place on the cross but even in that journey, he waits and longs to be wanted by his children. I like what David Jeremiah said on the same lines. He said, desire for God is that spark that can ignite into a flame. But if it's left untended, that same spark can fizzle into ashes. He said, as we grow in the Christian life, we understand more and more that it's a fire that must be fed. Hear me. The fire, your passion for God must continually be fed. Coming to know God and realizing that he wants to be wanted does make the flame of God leap within us. Feeding the flame. Now, I want you to think about this. This morning I woke up about uh, 6 o'clock and when I woke up about 6 o'clock, I make my journey to my Keurig. Anybody got a Keurig? Amen. Y'all can confess later. It'll be all right. I know a Keurig. And you know what? That's kind of an addictive thing because you just make you one cup at a time. Angie likes it. I think it's a waste of money. But anyhow, it's just, she likes it. So anyhow, so we got the Keurig, and I give in. Okay, man? I just crumble to the Keurig, you know? So anyhow, so I got the Keurig, and I've had me two cups of coffee this morning. Aren't y'all glad to hear that? Two, all right? Two fully loaded, 
fully, I mean, boom, caffeine shots, all right? And then I had, for breakfast, I had my banana. Do y'all like bananas? I like bananas. If you don't like bananas, I'm telling you, God help you. I don't know how you make it, right? But I had something else to go along with that. I had something that I really shouldn't have eaten, but I needed some carbohydrates for today, so I got a real spiritual blueberry Pop-Tart, all right? I got me a blueberry Pop-Tart. I got me a banana, two cups of coffee, and, and I did that because my body needs fuel to be able to do what I'm here to do today. Now, I know many of you are saying, wait a minute, I took a good look at you. You got six months worth stored up right there. Okay, good, I probably do. But nevertheless, I got me a banana Pop-Tart anyhow. So I got fuel for my body to be able to perform physically and be able to make it through the day. So many people don't take that kind of care of their spiritual life. I know y'all probably get tired of me saying to you over and over, you, you need to have a steady diet of the Word of God, and it needs to be not just on Sunday. You need to steadily fill your heart and mind with the Word of God. You need to listen to godly stuff. You need to read godly stuff. You need to be around some godly people who can help encourage you in your journey and feed your fire. So with those things in mind, I want us to look at the text and just walk through a couple of things. And then I want to share with you some characteristics. I want to share with you some conditions. And then I want to end today by sharing with you five principles that will help you keep the fire burning hot in your life. The first characteristic of obedience we find in verse 5 and 6 was that they fell on their face. Did you see what happened here when the people, listen, I mean, this is a bunch of backsliders to the hilt right here. Listen to them. They're saying, we should have just died in Egypt. And if we decided to go past Egypt, why didn't we just die in the wilderness? Because here's what's happened. We've trusted this guy Moses, and he's led us out here. Our wives and our children are going to die by the sword we're headed in the wrong direction. What we need to do is we need to get us another leader and take us back to Egypt. Can you believe that they would say that? No, preacher, I cannot believe they would say that. I can't either. I'm glad we agree. They could not, cannot believe that all God had done for them, they get to this point in their journey and they go, I just wish we'd have just died in Egypt. It seems to me that they forgot real fast what happened at the Red Sea. It seems to me they've forgotten that it was Moses that God raised up to have the courage to stand before Pharaoh and say, you're going to let my people go. It seems to me that they've forgotten how God has provided for them so well so far in their journey, but now at this point, they are murmuring, complaining, and outright living in rebellion against where God is leading them. But what happens? Moses and Aaron, they don't even really answer the people, but the Bible says they fall on their face before the assembly, the congregation of Israel. Here's what they did. They openly and completely and unashamedly got before God and said, Oh God, only you can fix this. They fell on their face, and in verse 6, the Bible says he raised up two guys named Joshua and Caleb, and here's what the Bible says about them. They were among the 12 that spied out the land, and here's what they did. They tore their clothes. In the Old Testament, when they tore or rent their clothes, it was a sign of complete and total humility before the Lord. So what we see happening in verse 5 and 6 
people of outrageous obedience, here's what they do. They fall on their face, they get humble before God, and they trust him to lead them forward. There's a second observation there in verse 7 and 8 is that those who practice outrageous obedience have a forward-looking faith. It says that when they began to speak to the congregation of the children of Israel, here's what they said. Caleb and Joshua speaking up, here's what they said. said, the land we passed through to spy it out, it's exceedingly good land. And I love this in verse 8. But if the Lord delights in us. Wait, wait a minute. He said, if the Lord is involved in this, if this is the Lord's plan and path for life, if the Lord is going to bring us to this place that flows with milk and honey, if God's in it, then we can trust him. Ladies and gentlemen, as we look forward to a very uncertain future, we have to have the same heartbeat that Caleb and Joshua did. We're going to have to trust that we would walk in such a way and live in such a way and serve in such a way that God would delight in us. I don't know about you, but I have no trouble delighting in him. He's more than awesome. He's more than wonderful. But it is amazing to me to think that the Lord of glory could find delight in his children when they walk in obedience. There's a third observation I'd make. Not just that they'd be falling on their face or forward-looking faith, but they would live free of fear. See what he said in verse 9? He said, the only thing y'all need to do is just do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of those giants. It's amazing how those that were fearful of the giants looked at them as being so much bigger, so much faster, so much stronger. They looked at all the physical things and they said, we're just grasshoppers. Look what Caleb and Joshua said. They said, they're our bread. Do you know why they could say they're our bread? Because they knew that they already had a word from the Lord. When you've got a word from the Lord, sometimes the giant might look pretty big. I can imagine for David the giant looked pretty big, nine feet, nine inches tall. I can imagine for these men here who went into Canaan and spied out that land that it certainly was a place that they could have found themselves in fear, but they already had a word from God that this is your place. Those are some characteristics of obedience, but I want to share with you some conditions for obedience. When we looked at conditions for obedience, the first thing we think about from this story is, is it's very clear that Caleb and Joshua have hearts that are totally set on bringing glory to God. It's very clear that they also are trusting the man that God has risen up to lead them, Moses, through this very, very difficult journey. It's very true that they have complete trust in God and his leadership, but they give some conditions that I believe can help us. One of the conditions we find for obedience is that of repentance of sin. When it talks about how they tore their clothes, that was because they were showing humility before the Lord. But I want you to know that in order for obedience to be achieved in the life of any of God's children, there must be repentance on the part of God's child. I know some people say, well, I repented of my sins the day I got saved, and that ought to do. Well, if you repented of your sins the day you got saved and you gave your heart to Jesus, repented of your sins and trusted him, that's wonderful. But I want to tell you what, you're still living in a world, uh, still living in a world where you're apt to sin and prone to sin. You still have a sin nature that you battle with every stinking day. Amen? So there's going to be a need for continual repentance. So what are some of the consequences if we refuse to confess and forsake our sins? 
Well, if we look at an Old Testament story, I can give you a couple, but there's one from Joshua chapter 7 that should be a stark reminder that all the sin chills down our spine when we think of rebelling against God. In Joshua chapter 6, Joshua has won a great victory at Jericho. He's riding the waves of great victory. He's going on to his next place in the conquest of the promised land. And he ends up at a place called Ai, and it's a little old bitty place, and not many people, it's not be too much trouble. He does not consult God. He goes of his own volition. He goes on his own experience. He thinks he's a big shot now, and he sends just a few people up there, and they end up getting whipped. When they got whipped at Ai, Joshua was pretty upset. He didn't know what could have gone wrong. He thought he knew what to do. You know what he did? He got before the Lord. He tore his clothes. And when he did so, he's like, Lord, what happened? Well, the Lord is very clear. You didn't ask me what to do. You went on your own. But here's what your problem is, Joshua, is that you have sin in your camp. He says, well, where's it at? So they went through this process of beginning to find out where this sin was present and they were going to deal with it. Well, the truth of the matter is there was one of the soldiers of the army, a man named Achan, who when they were leaving Jericho, something very beautiful, bright, and shiny caught his attention. He began to notice that there was some uh, coins of silver. There were some wedges of gold, and there was purple, fine, and beautiful Babylonian garments, and he reasoned within his heart, this won't be missed. It's just a little bit of silver. It's just one wedge of gold. It's just one Babylonian garment. Nobody has to know. I'll hide it in my bag. I'll take it to my tent. I'll dig a hole in the middle of my tent. I'll put it in the ground. I'll cover it up. And nobody will know it's there but me. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. He was right about part of that, but he wasn't right about all of that. Maybe it may have been hidden to Joshua. Maybe it may have been hidden to the rest of the children of Israel. But it was not hidden to the all-seeing eye of a holy and sovereign God. Because he did so, he caused his entire nation to experience defeat. Once they found out what was taking place, and they dealt with Achan, and they dealt severely with Achan, the severest of severe, but once they dealt with him, when Joshua went back to Ai, he went back there a different person. He had a different plan, a different purpose, because now he had consulted with God. He had dealt with the sin in the camp, and now they were going forward and experiencing victory, and boy, did they ever. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know one of the conditions for obedience today is that of repentance of sin. It doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect your family. It affects your church and everybody in your circle of influence from accomplishing the will of God, which he has set before us. Don't ever discount the importance of repentance. You need to do it every day. Amen. I know I do. I'm not as spiritual as y'all, but I have to do that every day. And I would say we probably all do. And we just need to get before God every day. And we need to be as open and honest as David was in the 139th Psalm. And we need to say, oh God, search me and try me. And if there's any wicked way in me, I want you to get it out of me. If I go out here today and get a big splinter in the palm of my hand, and say it's so deep, you know, most of us are pretty good. We dig them out ourselves. But say it's so bad that I've got to get a doctor involved. Well, I'm not going to go down to the doctor and say, I'll tell you what, you can get this out as long as it don't hurt. 
He's going to say, well, good luck on that, right? You can get this out if you meet my conditions. You can get this out if you make me happy. No, no, I'm going to go to the doctor and say, whatever you got to do, get this out of my hand. Anybody with me? But ladies and gentlemen, when we come before the Lord, sometimes we want to repent with conditions. But repentance is unconditional. Oh, God, if there's any wicked way in me, get it out. Ah, that needs to happen. It needs to happen bad today in our country. Not only repentance of sin, but another condition is there needs to be a retreat for strength. When I talk about retreat, I want you to know what I mean. I'm not talking about living in isolation, but I'm talking about you building some spiritual insulation. It's so very important that you do that. The psalmist said in Psalm 91.1, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. It's healthy to have some times of retreat for strength. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. Another condition is that of regular supplication, talking to God, pouring your heart out to the Lord. When's the last time you did that? Just got before God and said, God, my heart is broken. My heart is burdened. I don't know what to do. I'm weary. I'm, I'm downtrodden. God, help me. Paul told the church in 2 Corinthians, he said, we're cast down but not in despair we're perplexed we're pushed and pressed on every side but God is still God he told the church at Philippi in Philippians 4 6 he said be anxious for nothing but in everything by power and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and then also another condition is we've got to relinquish some strongholds strongholds I don't have any of those preacher well maybe you don't I pray you don't but if you do I'm certainly not here to hurt you. I want to help you. Say, what is a stronghold? A stronghold could be anything from pride to addiction or anything in between. So many people have a stronghold of pride because it's just easy to be prideful. We're bent to be that way. I don't know, ladies. I'll give you all a break for a minute, but men are really bad. Somebody said amen to that, right? But... I tell you what, it ain't just men. It's all human beings struggle with it, and the people that say they don't really do. But how can I overcome that? Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. He's saying, listen, the weapons of our warfare have the ability to take away that which hinders you from being who God wants you to be. Well, let me say this to you. You cannot overcome any of these strongholds without divine intervention from God. You cannot do it on your own. And then I want to finish today by giving you some ways to keep your fire burning. It's not just about getting a fire burning, but keeping it burning and not fizzling out, but burning hot, burning long. And I learned these from Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'll say this to you what I said in the first service. I have a friend, pastor of a church in Tennessee, and he got so discouraged that he, he resigned his church and, and is not in that ministry anymore. It's been a few years ago. He got so discouraged over several things. And one of the things that really discouraged him, I wish I'd known about this because I've had this kind of stuff happen a lot. But he had been reading some stuff from Henry Blackaby. 
which I believe Henry Blackaby is one of the best Christian authors, most solid Bible teachers of our time. And when he did, he shared some things from a book that he had read. And this man comes up to him at the end of church. Y'all won't believe some of the meanest people on the planet are church people. Did y'all know that? They really are. And he comes up to his preacher. None of y'all would do this, but this is what he said. He said to his preacher, I don't care what some man's got to say. If I want to hear what man's got to say, I'll buy a book. I'll come up here and hear what God's got to say. Now that sounds spiritual, don't it? But there's a Greek word for what that is. Stupid. But anyhow, this really is. Stupid. <laughs> see, see what he couldn't appreciate and what I hope you do and if I was in your place what I would appreciate is this is I would realize that my preacher or no preacher is original none of us have ever preached an original sermon Jesus preached them all in the Sermon on the Mount he covered it he's the original preacher we're all just feeding off of what he left us and thank God we are but I'd also be thankful that my friend who was a pastor there see what his his church member couldn't see. I'm not sure that guy was a saved person say stuff like that. But what he couldn't see was is that he ought to have been thankful that his preacher was getting in the Word and studying and reading and, and broadening his scope so that he would be able to give them something when they came on Sunday. Amen? So I read David Jeremiah a lot. If you don't like David Jeremiah, God help you, man. This guy right here. I, I was in a conference one time when he was preaching. Jerry Vine said this. He said, that guy finds stuff in the Bible that I don't even know if it's there or not. But anyhow, no. But I was reading his book that's been on my shelf for a while. And I, I just pulled it off the other day, and I just couldn't stop reading it. It's called Life Wide Open. I like that title because I kind of try to live wide open a little bit. I, I told him in, in early service, you know, I, I've been around a lot of Eeyores in my ministry. I call it the Eeyore syndrome. You know, folks are like, I don't know, don't bother me, none. Y'all, y'all been around? Y'all been Eeyore? Come on, people, y'all watch Winnie the Pooh? Help me. Yeah, I love Winnie the Pooh. But here, I never was an Eeyore. Eeyores are difficult, but I kind of, I kind of gravitated toward Tigger. He's my type, right? Bouncing, bouncing everywhere, right? He was my type. Uh, but I'm telling you. Keeping the fire hot for the Lord requires some things, and these are some things I think will help you. Here's what Dr. Jeremiah said. Five ways you keep your fire burning. One is you stretch beyond your comfort zone. President Kennedy said this when he was president. He said, only those who dare to fail miserably can achieve greatly. Some people will not ever achieve anything because they're afraid they'll fail. Fear and hesitation are among the first factors that douse the passion within you. If you worry about failure or overextending, you'll retire meekly back into your comfort zone, and the next time it'll be harder for you to emerge and push out your boundaries. Don't stop, don't keep living in the comfort zone. I've got a thing that hangs on the wall in my office my daughter gave me years ago. And she gave it to me and she told me, she said, Daddy, I don't want you to ever forget this. And it says on that thing on my wall, it says, don't let the fear of striking out keep you from playing the game. Do you know some of them, you know, Babe Ruth hit 714 home runs, but do you know how many times he struck out? I'm going to tell you, a bunch. <laughs> some of the greatest power hitters in the game of baseball Struck out a whole lot. 
but they're not remembered for the times they struck out. They are remembered for the times they succeeded. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. <coughs> we all will experience failure. We all will be put in positions where we will fail. But this, the only way we achieve anything great for God is by putting ourselves in positions where we're vulnerable enough to fail. Too often we encourage comfort in the church. Too often a lot of our songs are about how to stay comfortable and how to stay hid. But I want you to know something about that that I believe is very important. Yes, there are times you do need to retreat to the haven of rest. There are times you do need to retreat to the cleft of the rock or the hiding place. But I want you to know that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot live there. You can retreat there for a little bit of insulation, but you don't need to live and try to serve in isolation. You must get your marching orders from God and come out of that retreat and go make a difference for the king. The second thing is, he said, that you need to spend some time with kids. I like kids, don't y'all? You know, if I had, I, I, I just enjoy, I've been around so many wonderful children around my days. So many have encouraged me tremendously. I, I, I've got a card in my office today that I've kept from a, who was a little boy then, and now he's a grown man, he's a fireman in Georgia. And he drew me a card when he was in about the first grade and colored it with crayons and colored pencils. And he drew a picture of me, and boy, I tell you, that's a sight, amen? It's the only time I've ever looked like a stick man, but anyhow, he drew a picture of me and, and behind a pulpit, and he wrote these words. He put, preacher, keep preaching your heart out. There's sometimes I go look at that, and I think, boy, I remember Branson when he was just a little boy and playing up for basketball and stuff, and now he's a grown man fighting fires, all this. And I'm thinking, you know what? It, that meant so much to me then it means even more now because it's important to understand sometimes we just need to be around children because they give us a healthy dose of innocence and, and vitality which we all need a uh, third thing is we need to seek out exciting experiences think about Caleb again in Joshua chapter 14 when they're dividing up the promised land he even in his advanced age he begins to speak to Joshua he says, Joshua, he says, I don't want you to forget where we were, bud. When I was 40 years old, we stood at Kadesh Barnea. When I was 40 years old, we had our heart ripped out when those 10 voted against us. We had our heart ripped out when we watched Moses and Aaron get on their face before God and tore their clothes. We had our heart ripped out when the people wanted to go back to Egypt, when the people wanted another leader to take them back. It ripped our heart out, and it's been 45 years. And I still want to climb some mountains. He still wanted a challenge ahead of him. He still wanted that place one more time. He didn't want the lush green pastures. He wanted to go out climbing mountains. He says, I want you to let me have that mountain because that's where the enemy fled to. And I want one more battle, one more victory. I want to make a difference. I refuse to get lazy. I must stay focused on the mission. We need to seek out exciting experiences. Ladies and gentlemen, don't ever stop doing that. 
And fourthly, he said, you've got to surround yourself with passionate people. Oh, this is so important. I'm going to park here just for a minute. David Jeremiah said, passion is contagious. We give off sparks of excitement and energy, and those sparks can ignite in someone else. You know, I've watched people drain the life out of people before. You know people that when they come around you, it's like they suck a suction hose to your side and just drain the life out of you. Amen? Amen. But you also know that there are people that when they're in your presence, you walk away feeling encouraged, you walk away feeling a little bit of excitement, and you walk away feeling like they added something to your life instead of took away from your life. Amen? Now I want to tell you which one I want to be. I don't want to be that person that drags you down. I don't want to be that person that pulls the life out of you. I pray that God would use me to be the person that would be in your life and encourage you and influence you and impact you to do great and mighty things for the glory of God. I really mean that. So it's important we understand that. See, Dr. Jeremiah said that he learned early on in ministry to be careful about who was closest to him and who influenced him most. I shared this with a friend of mine this week. I shared with a friend of mine something I say to y'all regularly. I say, church, listen to me. Remember that as a Christian, boats don't sink because they're in the water. Boats only start to sink when water gets inside the boat. Y'all, have anybody heard me say that before? Please, somebody nod, say yes, thank you, in the top. Carla, God bless you. So I said with my man, said to my friend, I said, I believe that is so true, and I said, I have discovered that water gets in our boat for a, in a variety of ways. And I said, here's one. One is, we begin to dibble and dabble out there in the sin of the world, and we literally as Christians go take buckets and just start pouring water from the world in the boat ourselves. But that's not the only cause. Sometimes the world gets close to us and begins to dump water in our boat when we're not paying attention. But that's not the only cause either. Sometimes it simply happens because you're in the world and the waves get kind of rough out there. Sometimes it's a light chop, sometimes it's a full-blown hurricane, but as the, as the waters get rough, sometimes the water just splashes in your boat even when you're doing all you can to keep it out. Right? I said, and I said this to my friend. I said, you know what I found myself having to do a lot lately? I have found myself having to get a big bucket and keep dipping the water out of my boat so I don't sink. Anybody else have those troubles? If you do, just answer to you and God. I'm just talking to you. Listen, but I would be willing to guess that most every person in this room would say, man, there are some times I am pulling every cord and plugging every hole and I'm watching and I'm maintaining my boat but lo and behold before I know it the water's coming over the side and I'm trying to get it out because I don't want it to take I know that happens and if that's you listen to me don't stop emptying the water out don't give in and let the water take you down don't do it 
Surround yourself with some passionate people because here's what some passionate people will do, Ted. You got a little water in your boat? You having trouble? Guess what? I got a bucket. I'll help you get the water out of yours. Amen? You know what y'all need to do? Y'all need to be people helping each other keep the water out instead of pouring the water in. I am telling you it'll make all the difference in the world if you understand it. Let me help you keep, listen, listen to this preacher today, okay? Let me help you keep the water out of your boat because I care too much about you and God cares too much about you to watch you sink. All right, let's move on. Number five. He said, if you're going to keep the fire burning, you're going to have to see the big picture. Now, here, here's what, I'm a big picture guy. I, I'm not a, sometimes I get, bored with details don't y'all anybody else a big picture person oh Robbie was in here a minute ago I know he is uh, uh, big picture person there's Robbie you're a big picture person okay we talked about this we see the big picture we see the finished product sometimes but we need but here's what we know we need we need gifted people around us who are detail people <laughs> like you Joe right here you're a numbers guy right I'm not a numbers guy, okay? I have to deal with numbers. I check. I balance my checkbook, and I pay everybody on time or early. I'm not going to do it. But I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know accounting and all that kind of stuff to that level. I know how to, I got, I got horse sense. I got a lot of that. And that's basically a superpower in this world today, right? Okay? I just take somebody with some horse sense. And, and you do got horse sense, Joe. I ain't thinking, okay? But I say, horse sense, all right? But we're going to have to get beyond the we can'ts and start saying God can. See, that's why, that's why it's not a bad thing to have a pastor who's a big picture guy. Somebody please say that's good. Okay, because I know some of y'all are thinking, no, I'd just stick to the minute details. Because this big picture guy, he makes me uncomfortable. He tells me I need to get involved in missions. And I, oh, yeah, you're doggone right. That's right. Why? Because here's the big picture. When you stand before Jesus, all that's going to matter is what you've done for him. Here's what I know. Passionate people, big picture people, they see beyond the temporal to the eternal. They dream big knowing that God is always up to something. Hey, church, he's up to something. He's brought us through too much darkness for something awesome not to take place. Nothing happens until people begin to see the world as God sees it. We can't see it through our lens. We've got to see it through his lens. And you know what lens he's given us to see it through? The lens of Scripture. God help us. Abraham Lincoln said this. If you've never failed because you've never tried anything new. I think of so many times over the years that I failed and thought, there's no use to try again. I'll never forget 2005. I, uh, 2005, I felt like a failure as a pastor. I was discouraged. And I thought, you know what I'll do Maybe that's not what I'm cut out for. And uh, I want to serve ministry, serve the Lord. So I, I took a job 
serving in a church, moving your way further. And I loved that church once for another. I took a job at church serving on the staff. I was leading Sunday school and evangelism and things like that. That was my department. That's how I like it. But what God did is he said, okay, son. You're discouraged and you don't want to keep doing what I've called you to do. So what I'm going to do is what you think is an escape. I'm fixing to put you in a place where I can really get your attention. Amen. So the Lord gave me what I call my 15 months of getting real. And God put me around some wonderful people. God put me around some people who really loved him. And boy, they just took, they didn't know them. No, I didn't know a swinging soul in Cartersville, Georgia. And this was even before they became famous for Trevor Lawrence, right? He was Brooks' age, so we were five. He was five years old. So anyhow, I'll get there. God put some people around us that loved us. Man, they loved me. And they took care of me. They prayed for me. And they loved me right back into the call God placed on my life. And you know what? They kept confirming and reaffirming me, Brother Brent. We are so glad you're here. We love you. But we know that God's called you to pastor. And we know you're not going to be with us long and all that. And I thought, uh-uh, I'm staying right here. Because y'all got brownies and y'all got air. And y'all love me. And y- I ain't been cussed out one time by a deacon. I'm like, man, I am staying here forever, you know. But they saw something else. So during that time, God used those people to reconfirm. And I'll never forget the day, Saturday morning, February 19, 2006. I'd been there just about a year. I was on my face in my living room floor saying, God, I will go do whatever you want me to do. I will quit fighting against you, and I will fight with you. It was a liberating day. Maybe some of you need that day today. You need a day where you quit fighting against God and you quit doing things your way and you start getting with him and on his agenda doing things his way. What was the key to Caleb's spiritual endurance? Numbers 14.24 said this, says Caleb had a different spirit. It meant he wasn't like anybody else around him. He didn't fit the mold. I know people tell me sometimes, Brent, you'd have bigger crowds down there at the Baptist church if you'd lighten up. Y'all don't believe I've heard that. If you'd take, you'd back off on your stance on alcohol and all this kind of stuff, if you'd just kind of lighten up a little bit, you might have a big crowd. Well, God didn't send me here to draw a crowd. He sent me here that he might build a church. And there is a difference, friend. Just because you see a crowd sometimes does not mean that Jesus is Lord. Now, it might, but it don't always mean that. Now, now if you like, well, here's what. Caleb said, you know what? I'm just going to do what God said. And they said he was different. It's okay to be different. David Landreth was a longtime pastor, Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. David was a wonderful pastor, wonderful man of God, great preacher of the gospel, and just just love, I mean, just couldn't help but just be drawn. Wonderful personality. 
David was in his 40s, I believe, maybe early 50s, I'm not sure, but he, during that time, the church had grown exponentially, and man, they was just tremendous, reaching the world, missions and evangelism, and David got, got cancer. And over a period of time, and over a period of treatments, and over a period of time, David's condition worsened until he eventually graduated to heaven. But in that time, he kept working as long as he could. He kept doing, carrying out as much duty as he could. But when it became evident that his time was drawing nigh, he had one last letter of correspondence to his church. And here's what he said at the end. He said, church, stay fired up. That was his last words to his church. I've often wondered sometimes over the years between Sundays I'll think if last Sunday was the last thing I ever said to them what would I leave them with that might help them forward well David went on to be with the Lord and over the process of time Robbie Gowdy's the pastor there now I heard last week they baptized a thousand people since Christmas Would you say they stayed fired up? <laughs> you know what they did? He, he was their Moses. David was their Moses. They looked at him. Uh, but boy, they, they stayed fired up. And when God brought them a Joshua, they carried on. They, they, they didn't give up. They stayed fired up. I wonder about us today. I wonder, two, one, what's it going to take to fire us up? And two, what's it going to take to keep us up? Because the one thing I want all of you to know is is this fire that God puts within you that leads you to be outrageously obedient is one you need to feed, one you need to fan, and one you never, ever need to let flame out. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your word today. I want to thank you for the privilege I've had to stand here before your people with your word in my hand. And God, I pray today at this invitation, I pray for those who struggle with strongholds. Lord, you know I cast no stone. I do nothing to hurt. I only want to help. And God, those who do deal with strongholds, may they come to you for guidance and deliverance. And God, for those who may have some water in their boat today, I pray they realize that we all struggle with that. We need to help each other. But the greatest help we can find is when we call on the Lord to be our defender, to be our sword and be our shield. But Father, I pray today that regardless of what needs are among your people, that you would begin to birth within the hearts of your children in this place a heart of outrageous obedience that even though it may look different to a world around us, Lord, even though it may not fit the 
the mold of what society may want us to do. God, oh God, that we would just be like Caleb and just embrace our different spirit. Embrace the difference you've made in us and embrace, God, the joy that we have of walking with you, a joy that the world cannot give. Father, raise up a generation of Caleb's, a generation of some Joshua's, some folks who will just say, I'll just trust God regardless of the consequences. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand our feet all across the house. As we're standing, I want you to think about a couple of things and I want you to hear me. Whatever it is God is leading you to do today, you need to do. You don't need to put off. And whatever God is leading you to do today is a mandate from Him and not me. Whatever decisions you need to make, you make them for His glory today. Let's keep the water out of our boat. Let's keep our eyes focused on Him. Let's stay fired up. Marty's going to lead us. However we can help you, we're here to receive you. You just bring it to Jesus. Marty, when you're ready. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou Sing it with Marty. Just as I am by love unknown, I'm last. 
standing we're going to dismiss here in just a moment before we do don't forget two three things ones of course our offering buckets are still on both doors I want to encourage you continue to be faithful uh, you should have gotten a letter this week uh, in your box if you haven't uh, that's just detailing what we're doing starting next week and I do want to say something that's in the letter too a huge heartfelt thank you from me personally because I want to tell you, this has all been a challenge, but there's so many ways y'all have made it so much easier to bear just by your prayers and, and support and just your presence and all, all the things that you've done to make it a uh, much more enjoyable experience, even though it's been a difficult time. So don't forget next week, 9 o'clock for Sunday school. I want to encourage everybody to get in the Sunday school class because you need a small group class where you not only study the word together, but you make relationships, and it's just very healthy for those small groups. Make sure you're in a Sunday school class at 9. Next Sunday, you say, hey, not sure where I'd need to be. Come to the Welcome Center. There's front door next Sunday, and we'll have people ready to help you and take you, and not just point you, but take you where you need to be and help you get in a small group Sunday school class. If you've got a friend or family member you come with, Y'all get together and pick you one if you're not in one, and let's get in there next Sunday starting at 9 o'clock. Worship's at 10. We're going to pull everybody back together again. So I'm putting y'all with the backsliders at 9 o'clock again right, right now. Hey, I just tell, I tell them y'all are back. We just play games. But anyhow, we, uh, we, uh, we really are grateful for what God's given us, and we pray that so many people will be saved and lives changed and join us in this journey of faith together with Jesus that we'd have to make some radical decisions down the road to accommodate what God is doing in and through his people. I really believe he's that kind of God, don't you? He's a big old God. And why he'd use little old me, I don't know, but I'm so thankful he does. So that's next Sunday. But now Wednesday, everybody's back at 6. Adults in this room, children in the back, students in the cave, and that's all at 6 this Wednesday night, all right? Hey, it's been a good day. You had a good day? I'm going to go home here and get me a uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I'm going to, uh, one of the best things in the world to get a nap to is a NASCAR race. Y'all know that? I mean, just let them hum right by you, right? So I'll watch Talladega and, and get me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. On wheat, Marty. On wheat, right? On wheat, okay? But just know that. Know God loves you. If you ever forget, don't forget as much He, I love you. And there's not a thing you can do about it. And each week I tell you that because if it is the last thing I tell you, I want you to know that he left here telling me that God loved me and he did too. Amen? I mean that, okay? We never know. Life is so fragile. We never know. So God is good. So you are loved. Marty's going to sing us out. I'm going to go around and catch you on the way out the door. God bless. Have a great day.
This is my story.